Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 200. Yes, 200 of Money's No Object. And I'm uh, extremely excited about today. 200 episodes uh, is quite a lot. I know a lot of you guys have listened and watched uh, from the very first episode or pretty close to the first episode. So I'm really, really glad uh, that I can continue to provide this content for you guys day in and day out. Uh, so hopefully this is still enjoyable. Hopefully you're still learning. Uh, but here's to the next 200 episodes. Hopefully uh, we can continue through uh, and get the next 200 and 300 and 400 and thousand and uh, whatever knocked out uh, in a pretty uh, timeless fashion. So uh, moving on, right? It's the 200th episode, but I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be finishing up our conversation on index funds. Now, we've been talking about index funds all week, and I thought uh, it only appropriate uh, to end the week talking about index funds, talking specifically about their relative performance uh, and the bet that Warren Buffett made with hedge fund managers using only index funds. Right. And, uh, you know, I think this is also appropriate because Warren Buffett just had uh, the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting this past weekend. Uh, and he talked a lot about buying index funds and uh, he's a big proponent of doing so. And so I think this is a, a really good uh, segue into uh, what was the performance of the S&P 500 index or uh, the market as a whole over the time that he made this bet with these hedge fund managers. So stick around for that. Stick around to learn more about index fund performance. And hopefully I can spend this one more day convincing you that index funds are a good idea. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, and be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things that I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to create a financial plan that is specific to you and your family's needs and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just go to my website, www.mnowithdylan.com. Click on the Work With Dylan tab, and you can choose the financial coaching session type that would work best for you, and we can begin pushing towards your long-term financial goals together. So I've talked all week about index funds. I've talked about uh, where they came from. I've talked about the good, the bad, the taxes, everything in between. Uh, but today I just want to narrow down and focus on performance and why we should invest in them based on historical performance. Uh, yes, historical performance is not the only way that you should go about picking your investments. Uh, like Jack Bogle said when we were talking Monday on some investing tips that he had, he said, that's foolish. It's foolish to only invest in things that have gone up a lot over time uh, because you'll likely get overvalued securities, mutual funds, ETFs that you end up buying and those things will subsequently go down in value or not go up in value as much as the market as a whole. But nonetheless, right? I just want to stick to uh, the two major indexes today. We'll talk about the Dow and the S&P and the returns that they have provided uh, to investors over different time periods. Okay, so we'll start with over the last 100 years, we'll start with a really long time horizon. And this is just so you can know what is expected. What is an expected return on these types of index funds, on these major stock market indexes? What can I expect if I invest my money into an ETF or a mutual fund that tracks this particular index? 
Well, we'll start with the Dow Jones. The Dow Jones from April of 1921 to April of 2021, right? So 100-year period. What we saw was a 6.269% return just on the price of the Dow Jones. Okay, now if you'll remember, uh, our returns made up of two things, the change in price and the dividend reinvestment that goes back into uh, that particular investment vehicle, right? And so the 6.269 does not take into account dividend reinvestment. If you take into account dividend reinvestment, you would have made 10.537% per year uh, from 1921 all the way to 2021, which is an outstanding deal. That means on average, just about every seven years, you would be doubling your money. So if you put in $10,000, seven years later, you would have 20. Seven years later, you would have 40. Seven years later, you would have 80. Seven years later, 160. And then seven years later, you would have 320 thousand dollars so just in a 35 year period of holding a ten thousand dollar investment in uh, the dow jones on average you would have uh, three hundred and twenty thousand dollars which is not too shabby that just speaks to our ability to put away money early and let it grow uh, and allow it to become a very substantial sum over time and so that's the return that you could have expected in the last hundred years in the dow jones now the last hundred years in the s p 500 is very very comparable to the last hundred years in the dow jones over the last 100 years, the S&P 500 has had a 6.588% return when it comes to just the price, when it comes to just uh, the return of the index itself. But if you reinvested the dividends, you would have had a 10.75% return. So again, uh, just about every seven years, you would be able to double the amount of money that you had invested. And you could build really, really good amounts of wealth given these returns over time. These are returns that uh, if you don't know financial markets too well, a 10% plus return is fantastic. If you can make 10% plus over a long period of time, uh, then you are more than poised to build wealth in a very substantial way if you're just putting money away for yourself in a systematic fashion, okay? So that is the last 100 years. Well, then what about, let's say, the last 50 years? The last 50 years, let's see how much that deviates from the last 100. So we would go back to 1971 on the Dow, and we say, okay, from 1971 to 2021, that 50-year period, uh, what was the return? Well, the annualized return when it just came to price is actually higher. So now we have a 7.427% return annually, but the dividend reinvested return, uh, it is even higher than that. And it is 11.008% annually. So you could have made more in the last 50 years than uh, you made in the last century as a total, okay? Now, obviously, if you take the last century into account, you're also taking into account the Great Depression, right, which was good for nobody's stock portfolio. So obviously having these returns tick up a bit is no surprise. But then what about the S&P 500? The S&P 500, if you go from 1971 to 2021, right, it actually underperforms the Dow Jones, which is a little bit surprising. And the reason that it's a little bit surprising is because the Dow is known to be these big, stable companies that you know may pay dividends, and uh, you know they're uh, really long-standing companies that uh, are probably not going to make the highest returns over time. Whereas the S&P 500 is going to have companies that vary in size a little bit more, uh, and it's going to hold likely what the Dow holds, but plus another 470 companies uh, of varying size. Uh, but it still doesn't deviate way too much. And if you look just at the uh, price return, you look just at the return of the index itself, it is actually higher than that 
of the Dow Jones over this time period, but the difference comes with the dividends. And this is where uh, you can really see that dividends are so, so, so important. Okay, so the return uh, just on the price itself was 7.635% annually, which is higher than the Dow Jones uh, over the same period by about 0.2%. But the dividend reinvested return, right, is 10.713%, uh, which lags the Dow Jones by about 0.3%. So the Dow Jones picked up uh, a whole half of a percent just based on dividend reinvestment, which is a huge, huge deal. So there's a 50-year, a 100-year. Well, let's just look at the last 20, okay? Because the last 20 years, that is uh, a time period that uh, we've all been alive for. We've all seen occur. We've seen uh, recessions. We've seen uh, pandemics. We've seen all of these different things occur in the last 20 years. So let's just see what the returns have been in the last 20 years. Well, not in an extremely surprising fashion, uh, the returns over the last 20 years have not been as high as the last 50 or the last 100 uh, because we have had these major recessions, right? Since 2001, uh, we have had three major bear markets uh, that have taken the market down quite a bit. Now, you still could have made really, really good returns. So with the Dow Jones, uh, the return on just the price action is 6.115% annually. And then if you reinvest dividends, 8.674%. So you see that 8.674 as compared to like the 11% that you could have made over the last 50 years, uh, that is quite the disparity. And then we move over to the S&P 500. And the S&P 500 over the last 20 years, we have seen a 6.352% return annually on the price. And then uh, with dividends reinvested, 8.394%. Uh, in the way of returns. So has still lagged the Dow in the last 20 years. Okay, so uh, this is a, a little bit surprising because if you follow the market day to day or year by year, uh, the S&P 500 has its way with the Dow in many years, but uh, the stability of the Dow and the three major bear markets that we have seen have really pushed down the S&P 500 returns uh, in a way that they have not pushed down the Dow returns, okay? But regardless, the whole point here is that if you would invest in an index fund holding these uh, types of companies holding uh, these particular indexes, right? Then you're going to make a lot of money over time. Even if you make 8% annually, that's not the worst rate of return you could make, okay? And if that's what the market's offering, then nobody's killing the market by a large clip uh, from year to year or over decades, right? So if you invest in the S&P 500 and it gives you 8.5% annually over a 40-year period, then you know that was probably the best return you were going to make over a 40-year period or one of the best returns you could have made over a 40-year period. And the people who were outperforming the S&P would be very small in number, first of all, and then they wouldn't be beating the S&P by huge amounts. You, it'd be unlikely that you saw somebody making a 13% annualized return uh, when you were only making eight and a half in the S&P. Uh, so this is just important to keep in mind, uh, but this is my encouragement to you. Invest in index funds because the returns are good, right? Uh, yeah, eight and a half percent is not the best thing in the world, uh, but uh, relative to what these actively managed funds have done, uh, and then you look long term and you can make 10, 11 plus percent uh, on the S&P or the Dow. I mean, just great ways to invest your money. And it's also, as we've talked about, great ways to keep it simple and keep it really tax efficient with our investing. So 
Nonetheless, uh, that is what the Dow and the S&P have done over these differing time periods. Now, uh, we talk about performance. I think it's important to talk about uh, Warren Buffett's bet. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but I really want to dig into it today and talk about the bet that he made with hedge fund managers about hedge fund performance versus just the S&P 500. Because Warren talks all the time about owning America. He talks about if you are investing, right, if you will just bet on America, if you'll just bet that the U.S. stock market is going to uh, be the best in the world over any given period of time, Right, and you will just invest in the indexes, then you will do well. And he put his money where his mouth was and made a million dollar bet with hedge fund managers and said, Hey, I believe that the SP 500 will beat your best five hedge funds uh, over the next 10 years. And lo and behold, it absolutely did. But we're going to talk about exactly how this occurred, how this came about, uh, and then what were the differences in performance between uh, the index fund and uh, the hedge funds that the hedge fund managers chose. Okay, now it's no surprise that Warren Buffett's going to make a bet uh, that Warren Buffett is likely to win. Okay, uh, especially when he is putting his money where his mouth is in the way that he did here. I think this is just a phenomenal example of how in tune Warren is uh, with the stock market and how understanding he is uh, of how the index is likely to beat anybody who is trying to actively manage a portfolio over a long period of time. Because we uh, still believe, based on the numbers and based on seeing retail traders jump into uh, financial markets in the way that they have, we still believe we can beat the market by quite a clip. And Warren is saying here, hey, it's hard to beat the market. I know it's hard to beat the market. And so I'm going to prove to you that it's hard to beat the market. So this is what happened. In 2007, Warren Buffett made a bet against a hedge fund manager that a simple S&P 500 index fund would outperform a basket of at least five hedge funds over the course of a decade. Okay, The bet's time frame started January of 08 and concluded at the end of 2017. It's now official. Buffett is the winner, and he was the winner by a very, very large margin. Okay, uh, The hedge fund manager had already conceded the bet earlier in 2017 uh, due to the huge disparity in performance between the basket of hedge funds and the S&P 500 index. After all, through the end of 2016, the S&P 500 index had gained more than 85%, while the average of the five baskets of funds was just 22%. Even the best performer of the five gained just 62.8%. Uh, not one of the five baskets of hedge funds was able to beat the passively managed S&P 500 index. So this is crazy. Right, Hedge funds are really touted as uh, Wall Street's best. They are touted as ways to make abnormal returns in markets. And you see over this 10-year period uh, that the S&P 500 handled uh, these hedge funds. Now, there may be several reasons why this is. Right, We've talked about many of them. I mean, cost. Uh, hedge funds are very, very costly in their fee structure. The 2 and 20 structure of fees is going to eat away at a lot of returns over time. 2 and 20 meaning they take 2% of assets under management and then 20% of any gains in the way of fees. Okay, so this is very, very large in the way of fees, whereas the S&P 500 index, I mean, you're paying a minute uh, expense ratio, if that, if you're not holding uh, an expense ratio free uh, S&P 500 index fund. Okay, so the fees could do a lot with it. And there are other reasons. And we'll talk about those as we move forward here as well. So things didn't get any better for the hedge fund portfolio throughout the rest of 2017. The final results were a 7.1% annualized gain for the S&P 500 index fund. Okay, it was about a 99% overall return. 
versus just 2.2% annualized, about a 24% total, for the basket of funds that the hedge fund manager had selected. Okay, so you see here that the S&P 500 made about 7.1% per year over this period. Uh, now, it's not surprising that this is a little low relative to the numbers that we looked at uh, a moment ago because during that time, right, you start January of 08, well, that was as the market was uh, going down, down, down towards the valley that was March 2009, where the uh, S&P and the Dow and the stock market as a whole hit a bottom uh, out of the Great Recession. And we began to uh, finally heal as an economy out of that and begin to grow again. So those returns are obviously going to be low uh, relative to uh, long-term returns because of the Great Recession being right there at the beginning of uh, this particular bet. But nonetheless, uh, we see big outperformance. And it's even more surprising that this outperformance is so uh, apparent because these hedge funds they are trying to hedge. To hedge a risk means to take a position that is going to make you money if something were to occur, right? So they're trying to win when things go bad in many cases, right? That's why hedge funds do a lot of shorting uh, and things of the like, right? And shorting being uh, where you can profit from uh, stocks going down in value or any type of security going down in value. But here, the S&P 500 index absolutely destroys uh, the hedge fund's ability to make uh, abnormal returns. Buffett had pledged to give any proceeds of the bet to charity, and he selected Girls Inc. of Omaha, right? The funds from the bet were invested in Berkshire Hathaway Class B stock, which has done quite well, so the original bet amount has grown significantly. In fact, uh, the Class B shares in the pot are now worth more than $2.2 million, and that's uh, at the time of this calculation. Who knows uh, how much that money is worth now, uh, given the fact that uh, the Berkshire Hathaway has still gone up by quite a clip since uh, this point in time. So why was Buffett willing to bet on index funds? Now, it may seem odd that somebody who has built his reputation on picking individual stocks would decide, hey, the index fund's going to win. However, Buffett's logic certainly makes sense. First of all, Buffett is not suggesting that all individuals should go out and sell their stock holdings and buy passive index funds. Now, even though uh, he does say in many cases, hey, just buy the index, buy the index, buy the index. He's not saying you can't pick stocks, right? But he is saying that uh, you should own index funds and owning index funds is a good idea. Buffett doesn't necessarily have anything against stock picking if you have the time, knowledge, desire, and discipline to do it properly. And we've talked about this time and time again. You must be willing to do the homework on stocks that you pick. That's why I tell you all the time that you can't just be a stock picker or an individual stock investor uh, without knowing what you own, without doing your homework, and without continuously coming back uh, around to the company to continue on that homework journey that you are doing and understanding what your investment is over time and making logical decisions with your investment as you continue to hold it. So Buffett's not saying with this bet that you can't pick individual stocks. He's just saying that the S&P 500 is a great place to put your money. However, the majority of people do not pick individual stocks, which is why Buffett has said that index funds are the best investment that most Americans can make. And I would second that. I think that most of you guys out there who may be watching this episode, uh, watching my channel over time, you should invest in index funds. Now, I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not telling you to go invest 
in index funds, but I'm just saying the best thing over time for somebody who doesn't have time to pick their own individual securities is going to be a broadly diversified index. The data just bears that out. There is no argument with that statement. That is just absolutely true. Okay. So owning the index is going to be very, very uh, beneficial to Americans over time, especially those who have no interest in picking individual stocks. Buffett's issue isn't with individual stocks, rather it's with actively managed funds. And we've talked about how uh, 90 plus percent of actively managed funds over a 15 year period are going to underperform the index, underperform the S&P 500. And in doing so, that leads us to the conclusion that the index fund is a good investment to make. Now, particularly those that have high fees like hedge funds are bad investments, right? Because fees are going to eat away at your ability to build wealth because those fees are going to come out of your account, right? Some of the uh, main ways that you are going to lose returns over time is via fees and taxes. It's not necessarily uh, that the return of the uh, securities within a particular fund didn't do well, right? Or didn't do uh, adequately well for some rate of return that you were requiring as an investor. Uh, that's typically not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is typically cost, and taxes. And so those are a couple big arguments that Warren is making here. He's saying, hey, the index fund is cheaper, right? So you're going to keep more of your returns in that way. And they're more tax efficient. So you're going to keep more returns in that way as well. Now, Buffett acknowledges that in any given year, some fund managers will certainly beat the market. On the other hand, some will lose to the market. And since all of the funds charge fees, investors are at an inherent disadvantage, especially over the long run. So he's saying, yeah, the hedge fund managers could beat the S&P in any given year. And hedge fund managers are really well known to beat the S&P by large clips in bad years, in bear markets, when bear markets begin. But in this period of time, even though they were in a bear market when this all started, the hedge funds still didn't make it out of hit. Now, to be fair, if we want to be fair to the hedge funds, okay, Buffett was helped tremendously by the fact that most of the bet uh, was during one of the longest bull markets in history. And uh, th we, they didn't know at the time it was going to be one of the longest bull markets in history, but it absolutely was. It absolutely turned into one of the longest bull markets in history that only ended with the coronavirus pandemic. Okay, Hedge funds are better suited to outperform during tough times. After all, their name comes from their ability to employ hedging strategies, uh, one of their key advantages over passive index funds, and one that matters far less when stocks seem to be doing nothing but rising. Okay, and hedge fund fees can be dramatically lower when the market is declining. Right, the standard hedge fund fee structure is two percent of assets and twenty percent of gains. So the latter part does not come into play in down years. When the hedge fund is actually down for some particular year, then there's not going to be any twenty percent on the gains because there are no gains to be had. Okay, now the two percent is still a large percent of assets under management to be taking, especially relative to a cheap index fund. But nonetheless, you wouldn't have to pay the twenty percent. Okay. This is illustrated by the bet's outcome over its first year, 2008. Buffett's S&P 500 index lost 37%, while the hedge fund portfolio only lost 23.9%. So after one year, the S&P 500 was actually losing to these hedge funds. Still, Buffett's logic holds true in any market. Some funds will win, some funds will lose, but the fee structure puts investors at an inherent disadvantage. It's also worth pointing out that the market historically has had far more positive than negative years. So over the past 50 years, the S&P 500 has produced a negative total return just 10 times, so the hedging advantage doesn't come into play too often. So this is uh, one of the big arguments against hedge funds is that their ability to win via hedging uh, doesn't come into play very often. 
Now, really good hedge fund managers have been shown to make really good returns over time. Uh, Jim Cramer is a is a great example. He's on CNBC every day now, but uh, he was making upwards of 20% per year for uh, his investors as a hedge fund manager. Another really good example is Ray Dalio, who is known as one of the best investors there's ever been. Uh, but there are also plenty, 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 plenty of hedge fund managers who underperform. Right, probably the majority of hedge fund managers underperform, which is why Buffett can make a bet like this and be so sure as to what the outcome is going to be. Because it has been proven time and time again that that fee structure, along with uh, the nature of the market as a whole, that the market goes up far more often than it goes down, and hedge funds make money relative to the market when the market goes down, the S&P 500 is just bound to win uh, such a bet as this. So um, I think this is a really important distinction to make. It's a really uh, important comparison to make because uh, it tells us how the S&P 500 does relative to the stock picking abilities or the investment picking abilities in general uh, of individuals who are very bright, who are very smart and are paid to do this, uh, but they can still underperform something as simple as a market index. Now, if we just want to look at a year when the S&P 500 uh, kind of floundered a bit. Now, I say floundered. L let me take a pause. Last year, the S&P 500 made great gains, absolutely great gains. But uh, from peak to trough at one point during the year, it was down over 30%, okay, which is hard to dig itself out of, right? If you lose 30%, you got to make more than 30% on the upside in order to just get back uh, to zero, just get back to that level that you were once at. Okay, so if you look at 2020, okay, the aggregate of all hedge funds that can be tracked by this NASDAQ survey, uh, the aggregate of hedge funds made an average of 11.02%, which is not a bad return for 2020, right? That's a, that's a pretty good return. But still, in a year like 2020, a year as crazy uh, and as prone to uh, make your hedges work out as 2020 was, right? The S&P 500 still made 18.4%. So you still were losing by over 7% to just a passive index if you were invested in any of those types of hedge funds. So uh, this isn't just something that worked out the way it did for Buffett's bet. It was something that worked out because this is how the market works. The market index is extremely powerful. And if you look even further back, right, and you go from January of 1994 to March of 2021, Right, we can see that Credit Suisse's hedge fund index lags the S&P 500 with a net average annual performance of 7.34% versus 10.17% for the S&P 500. So you can see uh, that over a relatively long period of time, there we're talking about uh, you know, a 26, 27 year period, that an index made up of hedge funds still underperforms uh, the S&P 500 index. So uh, again, this is just my call to you to keep it simple, right? Don't invest in a very uh, complex way. Don't invest in a way that you think, uh, you know, I'm not doing enough. I, I need to do more with my investment. Maybe you don't need to do more. Maybe you need to do less, right? And the S&P 500 index or any other type of market index, it broadly diversified stock market index is calling for you to do less, right? Because you just buy it and hold it and buy it and hold it and buy it and hold it. Right now, this is very boring, but it has been shown to work over the long term. Look, somebody like myself who knows the market well, who understands stocks, who understands how to analyze companies, I own a lot in the way of 
index funds. This is a large part of what I hold in my portfolio. So I don't want you guys to think that I'm selling you one thing and then doing something else. I, I'm absolutely not. And I'm not selling you anything. I'm just telling you uh, this is a good way to invest your money. This is a good way uh, to be simple. And if you don't understand investments that much, this is a way that you can make really, really good returns over the long term without having to do anything crazy. And you can literally pick one fund and invest in one fund over your entire lifetime and you will be perfectly fine. And there are plenty of uh, index funds out there for you to do that within. So I am not arguing that stock picking is bad. I'm not arguing that people in the financial industry are inherently bad because they're just out there trying to uh, outperform the market and make money as well, right? I'm just saying over the long term, on average, your ability to make money will be maximized by doing the simplest thing. And the simplest thing is buying a stock market index and holding it over the course of your investing life and then taking the money whenever you need it later on, okay? Keep it simple and you will benefit. It's absolutely true. You can put it to the test. It's been put to the test. That's why I've given you this evidence that I did today and the performance bears out. I know for those of you who may be new and you see you know, the, the skyrocketing cryptocurrencies and Dogecoin and all these different things, and you may think, well, 10% a year, that's not anything. If you can make 10% a year in financial markets, you are doing a great job, okay? Uh, speculative bubbles don't play into my determinations, right? Speculative bubbles don't tell me what an adequate rate of return is. Long-term history tells me what adequate rates of returns are, and we know that those 10 plus percent returns that you can make over a long period of time in market indexes are worth it, and you may want to consider investing your money accordingly. So thanks for watching this episode. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to create a financial plan that is specific to you and your family's needs and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just go to my website, www www.mnowithdylan.com. Click on the work with Dylan tab and you can choose the financial coaching session type that would work best for you. And we can begin pushing towards your long-term financial goals together. So tune in Monday as I talk about living on a fixed income and specifically living on a fixed income in retirement. So thank you guys for the first 200 episodes and being uh, viewers and listeners for this first 200 episodes. I'm very, very thankful for you guys. And I look forward to the next 200 that I can uh, be on here and keep teaching you guys about personal finance uh, and hopefully hearing your stories about how I've helped you and helped you to push forward in your financial life and your push towards long-term financial freedom. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.